Hello and welcome to the Idea to Startup podcast, where we hired a super smart agency to help us make the pod better. And they said we shouldn't have the same intro every week. So here we are trying out something new so that they know that I can take feedback. Idea to Startup is a weekly 20-ish minute podcast that helps people with startup ideas turn them into businesses that make sense. My goal each episode is for you to be pissed off with me because you have to listen with a notebook and a pen handy, and you can't just walk your dog and zone out. I'm Brian Scordato, this is Idea to Startup, and let's get to it. Today, we're going to talk to you about your very first product. The first thing you send to customers that'll hopefully solve their problem, give you a ton of feedback, and help you make a bunch of decisions like, is this thing worth my time? Ideally, you want to do this before you've spent a bunch of time and money. Early products are important. The two questions most entrepreneurs have at this stage are, what should I build and how should I build it? We'll tackle both today. Nearly everything out in the non-idea to startup world focuses on the second question, how should I build it? There are podcasts and YouTube videos and even whole companies that teach you how to build a product in 2023 with no coding knowledge or developers needed. There are endlessly accessible tools. You can get a beautiful website up, collect payments, trigger emails, automate social media posts, generate an AI logo, and on and on and on. You can build affordably just about anything that you can dream up. But as my dad says, all of that plus $1.50 will get you a ride on the subway pre-inflation. I get a kick out of people who say things like, it's so easy to start a company in 2023. Look at all the tools you have at your disposal. You should just build something. That's like saying it's so easy to start a restaurant in 2023. There are grocery stores everywhere and stoves are cheap. Um, cool. I mean, it's certainly better than stoves being expensive, but that wasn't ever really the problem. The problem is what the heck am I going to cook and for who? And how am I going to find them? And what am I going to charge? And will they ever come back? And is the name Not All Heroes Wear Crepes already taken from my French bistro? Today, we're going to talk about what you should build with all of these tools. The what, in this case, is way harder than the how. The how is a commodity. In general, in life, it seems like you can always figure out the how if you're sure about the hard ones. The what and the why. A great product does two things. First, it helps the customer do something today that they couldn't do yesterday, and they really, really wanted to do that thing. And now that they can do it, they're in a whole new status level. They've jumped up and separated themselves from their peers. Always remember, people make decisions based on envy, not greed. And success is separating yourself tomorrow from the peer group you're in today. And second, it makes them feel good while they do it. If I had to combine and shorten that into one word, I'd say that a great first product should feel magical. It should feel like those transport booth things in Star Trek or apparating in Harry Potter or something else with Gen Z that I don't know about. It should pick your customer up at one place and drop them off somewhere completely different that used to be really hard to get to. When I say magic, you probably thought, hey, Brian, you just said the product wasn't the important part, and now you're telling me that it needs to be magical? That seems hard. Well, counterintuitively, magic is straightforward. It's a two-step process. Step one, recognize the process your customer goes through to solve an important problem now. Step two, remove the hardest step. You got to do step one to make step two work, and most people never really understand step one, so they never get to step two. 
Today, we'll teach you how to make your first product magical, and it likely won't take more than an email account and a Squarespace page. Maybe a little Airtable and Zapier mixed in, but nothing we can't build in a weekend with a few of those YouTube tutorials we talked about earlier. So why is this so hard? Why does nearly every entrepreneur we've worked with have such terrible instincts around what they should build first? Why do people struggle so much with their first product? Because entrepreneurs have baggage. When we have startup ideas, and I'm using the royal we here for all of us beautiful idiots trying to build stuff, those ideas form in the shape of a product. That is just how humans think. And that initial product idea usually colors everything we do from that point on, almost always negatively. Here's an example. Maybe you just bought a house in Connecticut and the weeds and grass are so high that when your dog Ruby runs in the backyard, all you see is her fluffy tail sticking up like some sort of Swiffer periscope. And maybe you tried to get landscapers to cut that grass, but they're all booked because no one wants to start landscaping companies because everyone wants to start chat GPT startups instead that'll tell me what to watch on Netflix. So maybe you say, hey, what if there was an Airbnb for lawn equipment? and I could rent a mower and weed whacker for 25 bucks from a neighbor before my father-in-law comes to visit this weekend and thinks I'm a slob. Lots of people have equipment sitting around. There's excess utility and probably tons of demand. Why don't I build that app, the Airbnb for lawn equipment? If you didn't realize, that story was about me, but it's also realistic. We've been pitched this idea, the Airbnb for lawn equipment at Tacklebox a number of times. Unfortunately, because of the shape of my idea, I've already anchored myself to a product construct. I'm building Airbnb for lawn equipment. That means it needs to be an app and a marketplace and collect payments and have ratings and send notifications and do everything else that Airbnb does. So when I say I want to build my first version of Airbnb for lawn equipment, and maybe I even call it an MVP, I'm just going to try and build a bare bones Airbnb app which will be huge and bloated and definitely not a fit for the specific use case I'm targeting to start. The shape our ideas come in, usually as an X for Y, an Uber for this, a Noom for that, a Talkspace for the other, these sabotage our first product. One of the worst things you can do in life is compare your beginning to someone else's middle or end in anything, your career, cooking, learning French. But in startups, it's particularly catastrophic. So today, no matter where you are with your startup, I'll beg you to approach this episode like a beginner, like you've got no idea what you're supposed to build. You've only got customers that want something and a desire to help them get it. Those customers have a current process for solving that thing now. We're going to help them remove the hardest step from that process. That's it. That is going to lead you to the right product. So let's talk about how you can do that this weekend and have a product on the other side of it. We've got a three-part framework that'll set you up real nice. And before we get to the jazz, an editor's note, I do know that a chunk of you were like, shit, that Airbnb for lawnmowers idea isn't half bad. Does that exist? I should do that. And to that, I'll say, all babies are cute, my friend. All babies are cute. But if you do start it, I need a lawnmower by Friday before my in-laws come. You don't want to be the slob son-in-law, even if you can build magical products, which we'll get to after. A little smooth jazz. If you've got a startup idea and a full-time job and want to test out the former before you leave the latter, come and work with us. Apply at gettacklebox.com. 
Over 400 startups have tested and built ideas through our program, and those businesses are now collectively worth over a billion dollars. Our program helps you prioritize and execute, and our members and me and the team keep you accountable and give you feedback along the way. Come build with us at GetTackleBox.com. Back to it. Three steps to your first product. Step one, process. The three-step framework to building a magical first product is hard, but it's straightforward. Step one is process. Knowing the steps the customer goes through to solve the problem now and calling out the most painful one. Step two is metrics. Knowing how the customer measures success and promising that specific metric in relation to their bigger goal. And step three, delivery. Removing the most painful step somehow. We'll start with process. And to do that, we've got to first talk about organ donors. In the U.S., roughly 15% of the population are organ donors, meaning if they're in an accident, they'll donate their organs to save someone else's life. In Austria, roughly 90% of the population are organ donors. Why the gap? Is it that people in the U.S. are morally opposed to being donors? Are people in Austria more compassionate? Is it a religious difference? A cultural one? Nope. It's just a detail with the sign-up form. In the U.S., you have to actively check the box on your license to become an organ donor. The default is to not be one. In Austria, you have to uncheck the box. The default is to be one. If you've listened to all 163 episodes of Idea to Startup, and I just got our metrics, there are a lot of you, which is cool, and thank you. If there is one thing that you take away from all of it, please make it this. 99.999% of things people do are based on inertia. If they have to change anything, it's unlikely they will. Even for something as serious as being an organ donor. So, 15% of the U.S. population are organ donors because you have to opt in. If, instead, you had to opt out, I'm confident that number would be closer to the 90% that Austria has. And lots of people would benefit from it. But again, that's not what we're here for. The point is recognizing the power of your customer's inertia. Inertia is like Charlie Munger talking about compound interest. Do not, under any circumstance, break it. And if you want a cheerier example, a Tacklebox member, Christoph, pointed out the ultimate inertia. There's a restaurant in London that has a button at every table that says press for champagne. If you press it, champagne comes. Inertia, thrust, and drag. And lots more champagne sold than if you didn't have the button. And that is step one for your product. To understand your customer's inertia. To understand every step they take to solve a problem to understand what those steps look like, which are painful and which they'd pay to remove. You need to know which steps are written in stone and which might be flexible. Do this by understanding what steps they've changed in the past. We've talked about the hassle premium before. People are happy to pay to remove hard stuff if it gets them something they want, but not if it breaks their inertia. Knowing their process lets you build a product that'll benefit from the existing inertia structure. The goal is to make it easier to use your product than to not. And to know their process, you need to pick a specific customer with a specific process. Here is an example. I'm thigh deep in the chronic pain startup world. If you haven't listened to the last six or so episodes, I've been exploring chronic pain for the pod and more because somewhere around 25% of the population suffers from debilitating chronic pain. And I think that that is unnecessary. 
So in my interviews, I ask people how they go about trying to manage and cure this pain. I get all sorts of responses with all sorts of processes, but one has stood out. This customer has a treatment protocol that works well, but it's time intensive. It's usually between 20 and 40 minutes each day. If they do it, they feel good. If they don't, they don't. And most of the time, they don't do it. These are people who are busy at work, they have kids, and on and on. Usually my instincts are to leave this type of customer alone. We need people who are actively trying to solve the problem and who you bet your company on to follow through and solve it. But so many of these customers have said the same thing. It's tempting to try to help them. It's some variation of, quote, it's just so hard to stay accountable without an actual PT appointment that I've paid for and cannot miss. And they're all at the point where their insurance won't pay for any more PT sessions. I'm curious. And this is a good use case for a product test to see if I'm able to remove their hardest step, will they reach their goal? When you're doing this exercise, always pick one customer and go through their flow. This is one person that you've interviewed, though lots of other people's process might rhyme with it. Here is my example. We'll call him Frank. Frank wakes up creaky because he slept poorly the night before, he hits snooze on his alarm that was set so that he'd exercise before work, and he ends up getting an extra 45 minutes of grumpy sleep. He then rushes through his morning kid stuff and flies out the door to work. Mentally, he plans on exercising when he gets home once the pain starts to hit him around noon. He takes Advil at 4pm as that pain moves towards seriously distracting. He gets home and something inevitably pops up. Kids, dinner, whatever. All of a sudden, it's 8 p.m. and no one wants to do 40 minutes of back exercises at 8 p.m. So he watches Jack Ryan and he goes to bed. He sleeps poorly, rinse, repeat. My job is to isolate Frank's hardest, most painful step, the one that is really holding him back from being successful. My guess is it's sleeping in. If I can create accountability, something that keeps him to a schedule so that he can get momentum and start waking up every day as a habit, I think maybe he'll be successful. When I test out that messaging with the psalm, quote, I'll keep you as accountable to your exercises every morning as though you had a daily PT appointment, people get excited. It's what they want. Now, I'd love for this to be more specific, but the iterations of product and customer will hopefully help me get there. And I'd love for the steps to be more obvious, but most of these removable painful steps are hidden. They have to be, otherwise someone would have solved for it already. We talked about Harry Potter earlier when I mentioned apparating, and I'll talk about Harry Potter again now. Twice in one episode. Might be a record. Probably not. Anyway, the reason people love Harry Potter so much is the same reason you need to nail this first step to build a great product. We love Harry Potter because the most irresistible thing in life is being chosen. For someone to reach out and say, hey, you, you're actually special. You out of everyone else in the world, you're different. And because of that, look at what I'm going to do for you. This is your chance to make a customer feel like that. To say, I know your problem inside and out. I choose you. I know you do A, B, C, D, E now to solve X, and it doesn't get done because step C is so hard. I'm going to do step C for you. The more specific you can be, the more it'll feel like you chose that person, the more excited they're going to be, which leads us nicely to step number two. Step two, metrics, aka the leap. 
Step two of building a great product comes back to another thing you've got to know about that customer you chose back in step one. A broader note, when you're going through this process, I would highly recommend working on it in a similar way to the way that we worked on the one person landing page a couple episodes back. That episode is actually a great precursor to this one. You're building this product for one person you've specifically interviewed and spoken with. Don't fall victim to the Franken customer trap. That is when you take a bunch of people, some real, some make-believe, and squish them into an ideal customer persona and then build for that theoretical person. That never works. Only build for real people. Come on. Anyway, back to step number two. Step two is about understanding the leap. It's a bit counterintuitive, but we need to start by communicating the value we create before we build a product that creates that value. This ensures that people care. To do this, we need to know what our customer really wants. This is always about status level jumps. Humans spend an enormous amount of time tracking how successful we are relative to the people or companies we compare ourselves to. So this jump will have to have something to do with that. Back to chronic pain. Another layer to this psalm that I'm toying around with that we just talked through for step one is why they want to kick chronic pain. And it is fascinating. There's a consistent customer that is an ex-college athlete. For their entire life, they were the fit one of their friends. The one who did things no one else in the group did or could. It was their identity. And now, chronic pain has taken that from them. When I do interviews with members of this psalm, I hear over and over that they used to be the best athlete and now they aren't. Certainly some of that is just getting old, but they talk about how they used to outwork everyone in the gym and now they physically can't. The chronic pain holds them back. The status leap is clear. Often they hate who they've become. They are, in the words of one person I interviewed, quote, regular. Step two is combining the messaging of the step you'll remove and the status level leap you'll create once you do. We'll help you stay accountable to your daily morning recovery program so that you can get past your chronic pain and back to kicking your friends' butts in every sport you play. When I test that verbally with potential customers and through a landing page, they jump. Envy, not greed. It's not good or bad, it's just human nature and there's no reason to ignore it. There is a reason we do this part of the messaging before we do the product. It's critical that you describe your product without describing your features. Everything needs to be specific to the customer. We help you do this so that you can be this. The product itself is irrelevant. Knowing what they want is the key. And if we nail this part, we can test and iterate the product endlessly until it stacks up to our messaging. This part can actually be really hard, so there are five messaging archetypes we use at Tacklebox to help facilitate the thinking here. I'll go through them now. We're also going to start posting transcripts and deeper notes on a newsletter you can get access to through a link in the show notes. These will be there too. Fill them in with your customer. One, stick statements. Before, you had to do X. Now, we'll help you do Y so that you can Z. Number two, pain. Describe in detail the pain your customer feels, then describe what happens once it's gone. Number three, cost. What has not solving this problem taken from them? Number four, apparate. Harry Potter reference number three. Describe the transformation. Where were they in detail and where are they now? 
Who's their new peer group? What are they now able to do? Number five, urgency. Don't go another minute dealing with X. Solve for Y today. If you're selling B2B, specific metrics are a huge help here. Numbers, things that get people hired and fired and promoted. Steps one and two should lead you to a customer that is clearly compelled by your messaging. Once you've got that, then build. That part is now. Step three, delivery. Remove the step. Now let's build the thing that removes the step. I hate to start with the most obvious example, but it's also hard not to because it ties the pod together so nicely. When the Warby Parker folks were asking how people bought sunglasses now, they learned about their process. At a high level, people went into a sunglass hut, tried on a bunch of glasses, picked one, and went home. But when they dug in deeper, they found that something like 90% of people felt wildly awkward trying glasses on in public, which meant they didn't really know if they looked good or not, which meant they went home and realized they bought $250 sunglasses that made them look like a bug. The process, the inertia, was consistent. At the beginning of every spring, on one of the first sunny weeks, people would go to a sunglass hut, try on glasses, buy some, get home, be disappointed, find a time in the next couple of weeks to go back to the store to return them, try on more pairs, repeat until you found something that miraculously made you look slightly less like a bug. The most painful step was trying the glasses on in the store, because it led to the moment of you getting home and realizing you'd bought a pair of sunglasses that, yep, made you look like a bug. When sunglasses work, they really work, so people went through the hassle. The core of Warby's business is that process insight that people really love great fitting sunglasses but really hate trying on sunglasses in a store. To remove that step, Warby's first product was shipping you five possible sunglasses, you keeping the one you liked and sending the other four back. They had some product innovation in terms of suppliers too, but this was the customer-facing unlock of their first product. And before they manufactured their own sunglasses, their product easily could have been shipping other brands of sunglasses that people chose online. Ideally, you've got a pretty clear step you want to remove. Now, it's time to be creative about how you do that. There's a book called The Personal MBA, which I absolutely love. I recommend it to everyone starting a business, and I'll pop it in the show notes. They have a section called the 12 forms of value, and these are basically the 12 types of products that you can build. During the intro, we talked about how people get anchored into a specific type of product based on existing products. This isn't good. Warby invented a new type of commerce when they recognized the part of the process they needed to skip. They built for the specific step they wanted to help their customer get through. Using the 12 forms of value as an anchor is a great exercise to think about how you might use each of these different constructs to solve the problem. I'll pop these all into that longer doc you can get from signing up in the show notes, but I'll use a couple here to think through the chronic pain step we need to figure out how to skip. So to refresh, we need people to do 30 minutes of exercise each morning. It needs to be as sacred as if they're paying for a PT appointment and not pull them out of their process. Let's try some out. Number one, product. A physical product might be something like a coin that sits at their desk where they feel the pain. A general rule of thumb for a product is you want it to show up when the customer feels that pain the strongest, either when they're in a place where they can do the thing you want them to do, or they're in a place where you remind them that they should have done the thing you want them to do. So this coin might have pain on one side and relief on the other. 
Each day, you flip it to relief if you exercised in the morning. I absolutely hate this, but that's okay. The exercise is meant to make you think and combine and stretch. So that's our first go at a product. Number two, service. The step we want to remove is avoidance. So the service should create accountability. A lot of my customers mentioned that they didn't skip physical therapy because they'd paid. Also, a few mentioned that they'd worked out in groups and that had been really effective in the past. So here's a service idea that mimics the conditions of the times they were successful. Another good approach. Each week you Venmo our business, which is still called I Stand Corrected because I'm not being that, $250. Then you show up each morning to a 6 a.m. group class on Zoom where everyone has their cameras on and does their exercises. If you show up all five days, you get your $250 Venmoed right back. If you miss a day, your $50 for that day gets distributed to all of the people who showed up. Another service idea is simpler. Group sessions on Zoom, the night before you commit to the workout group. Yet another is a digital physical therapist who runs a group of people with the same pain through exercises that lowers the price. You could have 25 people in a group and charge each 15 bucks per person. This could easily scale to 50 or 100 people in each session. Another value construct is a shared resource. We could create a digital repository of all the best exercises for certain types of pain. People could pay for this monthly so that they're able to easily mix up their morning routines. I won't go through the rest, but pushing on ideas for what it'd look like if this were a resale product, a subscription product, an agency, etc., etc., is useful for thinking through different product ideas and matching the actual service up to the step we want to help people skip. To create any of these products becomes pretty simple once you know what you need to build. I sent out a landing page to 15 people I'd interviewed who seemed to be in that ex-athlete desperate for accountability psalm with the group invitation for the Venmo product, 250 bucks a week, show up to get your money back, stay accountable over Zoom. It looks like people are interested. Is this a bit goofy? Sure, but it's a simple, fast way for me to get feedback from customers, to see if money is a motivator, to see if the group is a motivator to see if that step, the accountability piece, is something worth going after, or if it's a red herring. Your product won't start in a great place. It'll start in a goofy place, an unrefined place, and reps will get it better. Starting with a goofy workout or else you pay construct will give us info and will evolve. Where you start is never where you finish, and as always, never compare your beginning to someone else's middle. We're optimizing for speed. People will ask if this works for physical products and bakeries and restaurants, and it does. The steps are the same. First, choose a customer and know their current step-by-step -step process, isolating the hardest step. Second, know how your customer measures success and how it relates to a bigger goal around their identity. And third, remove the painful step in a bunch of ways and see which works the best. This is a game of ping pong back and forth, learning, testing, learning, testing, getting deeper until you know the customer better than anyone and can solve their problems better than anyone. And seriously, if anyone has a lawnmower in Connecticut, I've got to borrow it before Friday. Poor Ruby walked right into the swing set the other day. It's like the lost city of Z out there. Have a great week. This was the Idea to Start a Podcast brought to you by Tacklebox. If you've got a startup idea and a full-time job, come figure it out with us. Apply at gettacklebox.com.
We'll get back to you in 72 hours and we can be working on your idea immediately after that.